0: I'm Holiday. I'm Terror day I'm Independence Day!
1: Oh, a microphoney
0: And a phony at the mic!
1: Get Whoa! Over
0: there. Uh-huh.
1: And now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm- Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to another fun and exciting episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. As always, I am your host, the great white snark, Scotty J, and seated virtually across from me in an undisclosed location is the lovely and twisted Monica. Hi! Oh, boy, she she just brings in that, that... Oh, that was Stewie. That, yeah. was, that was Stewie adding. I knew to that was our... gonna be a
0: mistake. That's why I said. <laughs> but I'm in here to be quiet. As soon as I say hi, he's like, "What? Somebody's there?" I'm like right. <laughs>
1: but uh, no, we're we're doing good. Everything's great. Um, as we're recording this, we're on a countdown to the end of summer and the beginning of fall. And I I don't I haven't figured it out yet, but I I think. There's one condition. God, I can't talk today. One tradition I want to carry over from what Phil and I used to do. Like every Thanksgiving, we try to cover a cannibal.
0: Oh yeah, remember that?
1: Yeah, and I mean, we we started it with Dahmer, and I'm thinking we should do Dahmer as our our first Thanksgiving um, show.
0: Neither goats, the
1: unless you know of another cannibal.
0: Not I really. Wanna, I want to find it. Obviously, there's right. Oh, but
1: there was the one guy that we had covered who had uh, ground up his victims into like sloppy Joe mix and served them to the people.
0: Yeah, or oh, the pig farmer too. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, uh Robert Pickton. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into it. I'm going to have to find a book on cannibals. Uh But if you're just joining us, we're coming into the final part of our four-part saga of Ted Bundy. If you remember from last week, Bundy escaped from prison not once, but twice. And now we're going to go with what, happened after this last one all right as we last left it bundy made his way to chicago which uh what was this late seven yeah 78 he made it to chicago so he i'm trying to th- no, he would have came into town right after gacy got captured Imagine two of them together. Oh God. You know, I had thought about that because with him on the run and coming through Chicago and this was in um January of 78. So Bundy had already been arrested by this point. They were still digging out bodies at this point.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was like like cross ticket. <laughs> yeah. Past each other on the street. That
1: would be. Yo, giving, like, yo, cool, like looking party. at each other across mm-hmm. a crowded yeah. street and, you know, giving the nod to each other.
0: Yeah, like they recognize a fellow psychopath.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they could have, I don't know when uh, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng were, uh, or Leonard Lake, yeah, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, I don't know when those two were operating, but could you imagine the four of them sitting down at like a Waffle House having. Oh, not to say anything bad about Waffle House, I love Waffle House.
0: Actually, I, I've only had one time, and it was awful.
1: Oh, it was
0: just like the grossest! I'm like so,
1: I, I I am a sucker for greasy dives on the road.
0: It's kind of like Jack in the Box. Supposedly, it's like one of the cleanest ones now. But I'm like, I remember back in '93 when all like the toddlers were, you know, being killed from like you know the Food poisoning, or exactly what it was, but never see Jack in the Box because there's none around here. So I don't see. All I think is, you know, all those kids, and I'm like, no, thank you.
1: The first Jack in the Box I ever ate at was in Saint Saint Louis, Missouri.
0: Yeah.
1: They're all over the place in Missouri, like Sonics.
0: Yeah, none, none here. So not even sonic anymore either. So that was like
1: eh. I think we have one Sonic in the state and it's up, up around Chicago somewhere.
0: Yeah. We got Popeyes here. And everybody's like lost their freaking minds, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, Popeyes is good. I, I mean I if I really want fried chicken, I go, I go to the colonel. Oh yeah. Granted it spikes my blood sugar, but god damn it, there's something about that coleslaw.
0: Oh yeah. It's the
1: best coleslaw. Oh, the best coleslaw is um KFC followed by Long John Silvers. See, have to, there's no
0: real Long John Silvers around
1: here. I, I have to drive to the suburbs to, of Chicago to get a Long John Silvers mm-hmm. anyway. As we digress from our
0: yeah, sorry, our, our taste buds
1: here <laughs> from Chicago, Bundy traveled by train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he was present in a local tavern on january 2nd five days later he stole the car and drove south to atlanta where he boarded a bus and arrived in Tallahassee, florida on the morning of january 8th that's that's making good time especially if he, he got on greyhound good time man now he stayed for one night at a hotel before he rented a room under the alias chris hagan at a boarding house near the Florida State University campus. Bundy later said that he initially resolved to find legitimate employment and refrain from further criminal activity, knowing he could probably remain free and undetected in Florida indefinitely, as long as he did not attract the attention of police. This is before Florida man happened, folks. So now if it would have been nowadays,
0: before they named florida man there's always been florida oh, man.
1: right there's always been a florida man and just yes yeah.
0: just it wasn't called florida man it's just called that
1: you know idiot on the florida street man. corner
0: yeah
1: exactly a hey, florida man without florida man we wouldn't know that there was a florida
0: i love my cousins down there so
1: right <laughs> but his loan job application which was at which um okay but his loan job application at a construction site because you know this was the fading point of the um, village people had to be abandoned when he was asked to produce identification he reverted to his old habits of shoplifting and stealing money and credit cards from women's wallets left in shopping carts at the local grocery stores in the early hours of january 15 1978 one week after his arrival in Tallahassee, Bundy entered FSU's Chai Omega sorority house through a rear door with a faulty locking mechanism. Beginning at about 2.45, he bludgeoned Margaret Bowman, 21, with a piece of oak firewood as she slept, then garroted her with a nylon stocking. He then entered the bedroom of 20-year-old Lisa Levy, beat her unconscious, strangled her, tore one of her nipples, bit deeply into her left butt cheek and sexually assaulted her with a hair mist bottle. In an adjoining bedroom, he attacked Kathy Kleiner, breaking her jaw and deeply lacerating her shoulder, and Karen Chandler, who suffered a concussion, broken jaw, loss of teeth, and a crushed finger. Chandler and Kleiner survived the attack. Kleiner attributed their survival to automobile headlights illuminating the interior of the room and frightening away the attacker. Bundy escaped, but not before being seen by sorority sister Nita Neary, who came through the back door and saw Bundy as he was exiting the sorority house. Tallahassee detectives determined that the four attacks took place in a total of less than 15 minutes, with an earshot of more than 30 witnesses who well, they really didn't hear anything. After leaving the sorority house, Bundy broke into a basement apartment eight blocks away and attacked FSU student Cheryl Thomas, dislocating her shoulder and fracturing her jaw and skull in five places. She was left with permanent deafness and equilibrium damage that ended her dance career. On her bed, police found a semen stain and a pantyhose mask containing two hairs similar to Bundy's in class and characteristic.
0: On February 8th, Bundy drove 150 miles, 240 kilometers east to Jacksonville in a stolen FSU van. In a parking lot, he approached 14-year-old Leslie Parmenter, the daughter of Jacksonville Police Department's chief of detectives, identifying himself as Richard Burton, fire department, but retreated when Parmenter's older brother arrived and confronted him. That afternoon, he backtracked 60 miles, or 97 kilometers, westward to Lake City. At Lake City Junior High School the following morning, 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach was summoned to her homeroom by a teacher to retrieve a forgotten purse. She never returned to class. Seven weeks later, after an intensive search, her partially mummified remains were found in a pig farrowing shed near Sewanee River State Park, 35 kilometers 56 to 35 miles 56 kilometers northwest of Lake City. She appeared to have been raped, then killed by neck lacerations with a knife. On February 12th, with insufficient cash to pay his overdue rent and a growing suspicion that police were closing in on him, Bundy stole a car and fled Tallahassee driving westward across the Florida Panhandle. Three days later, at around 1 a.m., he was stopped by Pensacola police officer David Lee, near the Alabama state line, after a once and warrant check, showed his Volkswagen Beetle was stolen. When told he was under arrest, Bundy kicked Lee's legs out from under him and took off running. Ha uh-huh, ha copper, you can't catch me! Yep. Lee fired two warning shots, then gave chase and tackled him. The two struggled over Lee's gun before the officer finally subdued and arrested Bundy.
1: You know, and- that guy probably played football, too, in high school. Oh, yeah. Probably a you know, uh-huh. linebacker or a tackle, because those once they give chase, those cops don't give up. No. Unless they're like 300 pounds and you see them huffing the air.
0: And they're like, oh. I'll catch you next time.
1: In the stolen vehicle... I'll catch you, you, fuck!
0: ...were three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen television set. Also found were a pair of dark-rimmed non-prescription glasses and a pair of plaid slacks, later identified as the disguise worn by Richard Burton, fire department, in Jacksonville. <laughs>
1: Sounds like late- a bad Saturday Night Live sketch from the 70s.
0: that's what I was going for, so thank you. As Lee transported his suspect to jail, unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives, he heard Bundy say, I wish you had killed me.
1: Reminds me of that uh, Dan Aykroyd. Ron Garvin, male prostitute. (laughs) Uh, Following a change of venue to Miami, Bundy stood trial for the Chi Omega homicides and assaults In June of 79 the trial was covered by 250 reports from five continents and was the first to be televised nationally in the United States, you know, there were some ladies upset that their uh, soap operas got interrupted during that. So, um. despite the presence of five court appointed attorneys, Bundy again had much of his own defense. From the beginning he sabotaged the entire defense effort out of spite distrust and grandiose delusion Nelson later wrote Ted was facing murder charges with a possible death sentence and all that mattered to him apparently was that he being charged. According to Mike Minerva, a Tallahassee public defender and member of the defense team, a pretrial plea bargain was negotiated in which Blundy would plead guilty to killing Levy, Bowman, and Leach in exchange for a firm 75-year prison sentence. Prosecutors were amenable to a deal by one account because prospects of losing the trial were very good. Bundy, on the other hand, saw the plea deal not only as a means of avoiding the death penalty, but also as a tactical move. He could enter his plea, then wait a few years for evidence to disintegrate or become lost, and for witnesses to die, move on, or retract their testimony. Once the case against him had deteriorated beyond repair, he could file a post-conviction motion to set aside the plea and secure an acquittal. At the last minute, Bundy refused the deal. It made him realize he was going to have to stand up in front of the whole world and say he was guilty, Minerva said. He just couldn't do it. At trial... Oh shit, the, the fan blew my uh, my script page. Um... At trial, crucial testimony came from Chai Omega sorority member Connie Hastings, who placed Bundy in the vicinity of the sorority house that evening, and Nita Neary, who saw him leave the house clutching a murder weapon. Incriminating physical evidence included impressions of the bite wounds Bundy had inflicted on Levy's left buttock, which forensic odontologists. Undon- Richard Suvaron and Lowell Levine matched the casings of Bundy's teeth. The jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting Bundy on July 24, 1979 of the Bowman and Levy murders. Three counts of attempted first-degree murder for the assaults on Kleiner, Chandler, and Thomas. And, well, why not? Two counts of burglary. Trial judge Edward Cowart imposed death sentences for the murder convictions. Um... I, I know I've said this before but if you watch uh interviews with a killer on Netflix the first one on Bundy you get to see uh the, the the guys who did the teeth impressions and when he realized what was going on he, he flipped out
0: I have to check that out again yeah I, I know I've seen you know I've had to have seen
1: it right well I, I was taking a nap to the Gacy one today and uh You know just read just reading this part here reminded me that when they um when they went to do the teeth impressions he was he was throwing a fit because his teeth had they were like jagged edges and chip marks and Mm -hmm. and the the thing is is um he knew that those impressions could be used against him to, to like really put him there
0: yeah Oopsie, should have thought of that before you did
1: it. Right. That's when you gum them. Now, six months later, a second trial took place in Orlando for the abduction and murder of Leach. And guess what, folks? He was found guilty once again after less than eight hours of deliberation, due principally to the testimony of an eyewitness who saw him leading Leach from the schoolyard to a stolen van. See, Bundy was the first one that started the whole pedo van craze. Important material evidence, including clothing fibers with an unusual manufacturing error found in the van and on her body, were matched with fibers from the jacket Bundy was wearing when he was arrested. During the penalty phase of the trial, Bundy took advantage of an obscure Florida law providing that a marriage declaration in court in the presence of a judge constituted a legal marriage. That sounds fun. You want to go do that? No, you don't want to We're go to fl-
0: watch
1: it. <laughs> you don't want to go down to Florida and you know. You oh yeah. I, you and I go well, into a courtroom has room. to be in
0: the box though, right? I mean, that's something that has to be in the jury box or not jury box. Oh, uh, the, uh, the
1: witness stand. way yeah. we can't be in the gallery and I stand up and go, "Hey, Monica, will you marry me?" That counts as a marriage. Really? No! Right, go out running he out screaming. The, I remember
0: reading they changed the wall after he did that. Oh, God.
1: Okay, well, no trip to Florida. Yep. Vegas is still on the table. You're, you're thinking about that one, huh? I have to be really drunk. <laughs> uh, Elvis impersonator? Uh God. And, and
0: that's not allowed anymore either. They stopped that. You can't the get Elvis. an Elvis impersonator to oh. Perf- oh,
1: Jesus. Jesus.
0: Yeah, I read that like a month ago.
1: Okay, I know there's a Kiss chapel there. <laughs> can we just carry on, please? Can I get jeans? Can I get <laughs> a Gene Simmons impersonator to do it? You can get a Gene Simmons casket. Well, of course, you know.
0: Yeah, so uh there's the dog again.
1: As he was questioning Boone, who had moved to Florida to be near Bundy, he had testified on his behalf during both trials and was again testifying on his behalf as a character witness. He asked her to marry him. She said yes. And Bundy declared to the court that they were legally married. On February 10th, 1980, Bundy was
0: sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution. Ride the
1: lightning, buddy. Yep.
0: Yep. As the sentence was announced, he reportedly stood and shouted, tell the jury they were wrong. I like Aileen Werners' outburst better, personally. Oh, don't worry, we're going to get to her. Good. This third death sentence would be the one ultimately carried out nearly nine years later. In October 1981, Boone gave birth to a daughter, Rose, and named Bundy as the father. While conjugal visits were not allowed at the Florida State Prison in Rayford, where Bundy was incarcerated, inmates were known to pull their money in order to bribe guards to allow them intimate time alone with their female visitors.
1: Um, I, when I was telling you this um, before we turned on the on the mics, I was looking up the picture for uh, like last week's episode. And there's pictures of her and she's a she's a beautiful kid. so i think she's i think right now she's probably 80 i would say in her 30s she would be um you know turn become turning
0: 41 next month
1: well okay yeah um (laughs) was hard (laughs) math hard got no two numbers Okay,
0: we go. Shortly after the conclusion of the Leach trial and the beginning of the long appeals process that followed, Bundy initiated a series of interviews with Stephen Michaud and Hugh Ainsworth. Speaking mostly in third person to avoid the stigma of confession, he began for the first time to divulge details of his crimes and thought processes. Bundy recounted his career as a thief, confirming Klopfer's longtime Suspicion that he had shoplifted virtually everything of substance that he owned. The big payoff for me, he said, was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I had wanted and gone out and taken. Possession proved to be an important motive for rape and murder as well. Sexual assault, he said, fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. At first, he killed his victims as a matter of expediency to eliminate the possibility of being caught. But later, murder became part of the adventure. The ultimate possession was, in fact, the taking of the life, he said, and then the physical possession of the remains. Bundy also confided in Special Agent William Hagmire of the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit. Hagmire was struck by the deep, almost mystical satisfaction that Bundy took in murder. He said that after a while, murder is not just a crime of lust or violence, Hagmeyer related. It becomes possession. They are part of you. The victim becomes a part of you. And you two are forever one. And the grounds where you kill them or leave them become sacred to you. And you will always be drawn back to them.
1: Well, he did go back and see
0: the bodies. And- well, yeah, it's, it's like so like, ugh, yeah. Bundy told Hagmeier that he considered himself to be an amateur and impulsive killer in his early years before moving into what he termed his prime or predator phase at about the time of Healy's murder in 1974. This implied that he began killing well before 1974, although he never explicitly admitted having done so.
1: I, I still think that uh, Ann was his first murderer.
0: I mean, it was 14,
1: right? Yeah, 14. I still think that she was the she was the first. Yeah. In July of 84, prison guards found two hacksaw blades hitting in Bundy's cell. A steel bar in one of the cell windows had been sawed completely through at the top and bottom and glued back into place of the homemade soap-based adhes- adhesive. Several months later, guards found an unauthorized mirror and Bundy was moved to a different cell. Shortly thereafter, he was charged with a disciplinary infraction for unauthorized correspondence with another high-profile criminal and man who we will cover, John Hinckley Jr. Yay! Hinckley. Oh, Reagan. Yeah. I did it because I I wanted to get Jodie Foster's attention because I'm in love with her.
0: Well, you're old enough to remember that.
1: Yeah, I was in second grade with uh, when Reagan was attempted.
0: Yeah, I was alive, but not old enough to remember. So,
1: well, you went to the library, right? What? You went to the Reagan library. I would love to go there. Library. I would love to go there just to see if the card I made for Reagan is still there.
0: Yeah. Well, they have the um, the jacket he was shot from the day. Nice. Yeah.
1: Nice. I wonder what Hinckley's reaction was when the other inmates told him that Jodie Foster was into women.
0: I know, right?
1: Makes like, you feel it's so like, special now. A little waste,
0: You right? like never really ever 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 had a chance, so. Okay. Dude, you got the wrong equipment. Uh-huh. Okay, back
1: to Bundy. October '84. In October of '84, Bundy con- contracted Keppel and offered to share his self-proclaimed expertise in serial killer psychology, and the ongoing hunt in Washington for, and we're going to cover this one too, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Keppel and Green the Green River Task Force Detective Dave Reichert interviewed Bundy, but Ridgway remained at large for a further 17 years. Keppel published a detailed documentation of, of the Green River interviews and later collaborated with Mitchell on an, another examination of the interview material. In early 86, an execution date was set for the Chi Omega convictions, which was March 4th. The US Supreme Court issued a brief stay, but the execution was quickly rescheduled. In April, shortly after the new date of July 2nd was announced, Bundy finally confessed to Hagmeier and Nelson what they believed was the full range of his depredations including details of what he did to some of his victims after their deaths. He told them that he revisited Taylor Mountain, Issaquah, and other secondary crime scenes, often several times, to lie with his victims and perform sexual acts with their bodies until putrefaction forced him to stop. In some cases, he drove for several hours each way and remained the entire night. You sick son of a... hmm. In Utah, he applied makeup to Smith's lifeless face and repeatedly washed Amy's hair. If he got the time, he told Hagmire, they can be anything you want them to be. He decapitated approximately 12 of his victims with a hacksaw. I keep hearing hacksaw Jim Duggan steam in my head, you know, Hello! and kept at least one group of severed heads, probably the four later found it on Taylor Mountain which was Rancourt, Parks, Ball, and Healy, in his apartment for a period of time before disposing them. Less than 15 hours before the scheduled July 2nd execution, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals stated indefinitely and remanded the Chai Omega case for further review on multiple technicalities, including Bundy's mental competency to stand trial and an erroneous sorry, I can't talk tonight. An erroneous instruction by the trial judge during the penalty phase requiring the jury to break a 6-6 tie between life imprisonment and the death penalty, which ultimately were never resolved. So November 18th became the new date. Was A new date of November 18th was then set to carry out the leach sentence. And, well, the 11th Circuit Court issued a stay on November 17th. God Man, I bet Bundy was shitty. Well, I'm going to say this, but I bet he was shitting bricks during all this. You know, you're getting ready to go for execution. You get your stay. You get ready to go, you get your stay. In mid-1988, the 11th Circuit Court ruled against Bundy and in December the Supreme Court denied a motion to review the ruling. Within hours of that final denial, a firm execution date of January 24, 1989 was set. Bundy's journey through the appeals courts had been unusually rapid for a capital murder case. Contrary to popular b- belief, the courts moved Bundy as fast as they could. Even the prosecutors acknowledged that Bundy's lawyers never employ delaying tactics so people else everywhere see that the apparent delay in the exe- in the executing the arch demon ted bundy was actually on the fast track <laughs>
0: <laughs> with all appeal avenues exhausted and no further motivation to deny his crimes bundy agreed to speak frankly with investigators He confessed to Keppel that he had committed all eight of the Washington, Oregon homicides for which he was the prime suspect. He described three additional previously unknown victims in Washington and two in Oregon, whom he declined to identify, if indeed he ever knew their identities. He said he left a fifth corpse, Manson's, on Taylor Mountain, but incinerated her head in Klopfer's fireplace. He described, man, that was
1: that's cold. You're sitting there having a nice romantic fireside dinner with your woman, and you're roasting a head that you severed. Well, I'm sure it wasn't at the same time,
0: but no, but basically, you had done that, so yeah. He described the Essequad crime scene where the bones of Ott, Nasland, and Hawkins were found, and it was almost like he was just there, Keppel said, like he was seeing everything. He was infatuated with the idea because he spent so much time there. He is just totally consumed with murder all the time. Nelson's impressions were similar. It was the absolute misogyny of his crimes that stunned me, she wrote. His manifest rage against women. He had no compassion at all. He was totally engrossed in the details. His murders were his life's accomplishments. Bundy confessed to detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado, that he had committed numerous additional homicides, including several that were unknown to the police. He explained that when he was in Utah, he could bring his victims back to his apartment, where he could reenact scenarios depicted on the covers of detective magazines. A new ulterior strategy quickly became apparent. He withheld many details, hoping to parlay the incomplete information into yet another stay of execution, There are other buried remains in Colorado, he admitted, but refused to elaborate. The new strategy, immediately dubbed Ted's Bones for Time Scheme, served only to deepen the resolve of authorities to see Bundy executed on schedule and yielded little new detailed information. In cases where he did give details, nothing was found. Colorado Detective Matt Linville interpreted this as a conflict between his desire to postpone his execution by divulging information and his need to remain in total possession, the only person who knew his victim's true resting places. When it became clear that no further stays would be forthcoming from the courts, Bundy supporters began lobbying for the only remaining option, executive clemency. Yeah, get right. Good one.
1: Good luck with that one. Who was in office at that time? Um, Reagan? It was, no.
0: It was out oh, Bush by like four days. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, Diana Weiner. <laughs> Weiner, <laughs> young Florida attorney. <laughs> she was said last, <laughs> last purported love interest. Asked the families of several Colorado and Utah victims to petition Florida Governor Bob Martinez for a postponement to give Bundy time to reveal more information. All refused. The families already believed that the victims were dead and that Ted had killed them, wrote Nelson. They didn't need his confession. Martinez made it clear that he would not agree to further delays in any case. We are not going to have the system manipulated, he told reporters. For him to be negotiating for his life over the bodies of victims is despicable. So I guess the Florida it would be the Florida governor too. But then I guess if like Bush, Senior, or not, you know, right HW could have like overrode the um the other governor too. Yeah,
1: eighty nine. So yeah, Reagan was already out of office.
0: Yeah, but it means it would have been the Florida governor giving them right, the they would have yeah, but
1: he would have gone up to the governor. Yeah. Boone had championed Bundy's innocence throughout all of his trials and felt deeply betrayed by his admission that he was, in fact, guilty. She moved back to Washington with her daughter and refused to accept his phone calls on the morning of his execution. She was hurt by his relationship with Diana, Nelson wrote, and devastated by his sudden wholesale confession in his last days. Well, that's usually what happens is guys like this, if they... If they know they're, they're going to the chair, they're going to try to say, hey, I got some more secrets in my head. I'll tell you what you want. Don't fry me. Hagmeier was present during Bundy's final interviews with investigators. On the eve of his execution, he talked of suicide. He did not want to give the state the satisfaction of watching him die, Hagmeier said. Bundy was executed in the Rayford electric chair at 7.16 a.m. on January 24th, 1989. His last words were directed at his attorney, Jim Coleman, and Methodist minister, Fred Lawrence. Jim and Fred, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. Hundreds of revelers sang, danced, and set off fireworks in a pasture across from the prison as the execution was carried out. Then cheered as the white hearse containing his corpse departed the prison. He was cremated in Gainesville and his ashes scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State in accordance with his will. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Ted Bundy. He, he's one of the big names. What? One of the OGs. Oh, he's OG. He, he is. You know, everyone knows the face. Everybody knows the story. It's like on the Mount Rushmore. It's like Bundy, Manson, Casey, Gacy. Bummer. I w- I would actually go with Jim Jones. Yeah,
0: yeah. We know what's like weird with um. I was like like got the new book. Well, not new book, but book on Dahmer. And it's crazy thinking he was really only around for not even four years. No, because he got caught in July of ninety one, and then he was killed in November of ninety four.
1: July of ninety one.
0: Like I guess because it's been so many years now. Yeah, like, I've known him that it seems like his like the period of him being in his like crimes I guess, like
1: right i reasons. just
0: like, it just it seems like it was longer than the, like know, three years and
1: a few months i think when i go up to um at the end of july every year i i go up to my cousin's like house for a little family gathering and i think i passed the prison that dahmer was in in wisconsin
0: You
1: have to check that. Yeah, I do. But yeah, it's
0: crazy when I was like, I can't believe it was only
1: yeah, like three years and like three months. Well, and then I, you know, you look at someone like Gacy and Bundy, who, you know, Gacy did what six years. Yeah. And Bundy, roughly six years. uh uh-huh. You got these two guys who go six years. And have the infamy of like Dahmer.
0: Yeah, and it's like Gacy. I mean, for how long it took to kill? Because G- Gacy was. Oh killed yeah, Gacy. Ninety four. Oh, he definitely
1: it was ninety four. 94, Because but- I remember that. Um, yeah. I remember the uh the the newspaper. Um, the local paper down here covered it on the front page, and mm-hmm. I remember there was uh the the picture clearly there were people holding signs that said "No Tears for This Clown" and. Yeah. There was one of those uh uh death row. Oh god, that blizzard I had earlier is kicking up. Yeah, Dairy Queen got rid of the the drumstick blizzard.
0: Yeah, I did have that. It's like eh. I liked it.
1: I ended up getting an M and M blizzard. But there was one of those uh death row at you know, those advocates for uh no death row and she had a candle and one guy was like leaning over her trying to blow out the candle
0: sorry about the garage door
1: opening so Please. everybody all right so um we're gonna wrap this up uh you can find us on spotify if you have Just spotify you. and you're right uh, if you have Spotify, you can find us there. Uh, join us on the Facebook page for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0. I'm your host, Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Goodnight, Monica. Hi,
0: Son.